Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed it is. Hummer, we finally had, I guess, what you would consider a slow week in Bearcat basketball news. The football team continues to crank out commitment after commitment. Exciting to see, uh, but we're going to actually focus on basketball today. We had Keith Williams declare for the NBA draft. Go ahead, Hum. Yeah, they say, well, while we're ta- you mentioned football, I think we should share the news that I believe our next pod not this one, obviously, but the next one is going to be our inaugural football podcast. Hot damn, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati sports fan. Damn, that was perfect, Hummer. That is, I can't believe I missed that. Next week, we are going to have a kind of a kickoff uh, podcast episode dedicated to football. Hummer and I are going to work through how exactly we're going to do football. I don't think we're going to do it the exact same way as basketball. And I don't think you can do a football podcast the same way you do basketball. There's way more roster spots. Recruiting is is moving and shaking a lot more. But we do love following the football team. We love what Luke Fickle's bringing to the city in terms of excitement, in terms of buy-in, in terms of rallying around the talent that's in the city. And so I think it's, we're, we're long overdue dedicating some more time to the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. More to come on that front, but thank you, Hummer, for making mention of that. Yeah, we're going to – well, if if we didn't do football, let's face it, we would run out of legendary bas- Bearcat basketball players to dedicate pods to. We need to open up you know, and recruit our own legends from you know the, the wider pool of great Cincinnati sports athletes. And the fact is college football is extremely interesting right now. You know, there's lots of talk about playoff expansion. What kind of implications does that have for our football program, for the American Athletic Conference? And and Luke Fickle is obviously doing things that are a bit unprecedented here. Staying in Cincinnati uh, over going to a school like Michigan State was unprecedented in Cincinnati Bearcats history. Now, as Hummer says, we cannot overuse and overstate what it means to be a legend. There's work to be done, but it's really exciting and it deserves coverage, and so Cincy Slangin is proud to start covering the football team at a much more in-depth level. Now, speaking of legends, we have uh, a f- we have some former legends now. I think Trey Scott may, uh, may be there. Maybe Keith Williams becomes one. Maybe. We'll see. Time Maybe. will tell. But what we did today, Hummer, and we, we talked to someone who is actually a personal friend of mine. Uh, relationship goes back to 2009. We did a study abroad program together. And it's amazing where, where life takes you because today we talked to Cameron Pern, who is a guy who has actual front office NBA experience in scouting. Um, he now writes pretty just awesome player profiles on the Stepien. If you want to learn about what it takes to scout a player, be it from international game or the college game. Cameron does an excellent job giving you all the details and nuances of what a player can do, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, you know, his physical traits, his abilities, how he moves. Does he have a good base? And uh, Hummer, we were, we were fortunate to be uh, 
to get him on the podcast today. What do you think about the conversation? Well, some of it was frankly over my head. (laughs) (laughs) He went very deep into, you know, player or play strategy, uh, offensive or defensive goals, how they're setting up players, how they're, how they're guarding them, you know, trying to funnel people into the lane. Um, you know, very, very interesting conversation. Uh, Honestly, I was kind of surprised by his remarks because he was much higher, I think, uh, you know, on Keith Williams than from a draft perspective. But, you know, let's 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 get in. Let's get in and, and let him tell the story. And maybe afterwards we'll we'll hop on and, and, and talk more about, about Sound, what we're hearing. Sounds good to me, Hummer. Without further ado, Cameron Pern. We are now joined by Cameron Pern, a guy who has significant front office experience in scouting uh, and also current contributor at thestepian.com. Cameron, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Cameron, I reached out to you a few weeks ago, uh, right after the time that Keith Williams had decided to enter his name into the NBA draft this season. Uh, He's currently a junior. He just finished his junior season at Cincinnati and has decided to test the waters in the NBA to see if he gets feedback that would maybe warrant him going to the next level and taking his game to the NBA. So we wanted to get you on to talk about not only him and how he might project at the next level in the professional game, but also maybe get some, you know, some also some, uh, adjacent thoughts on Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott, two guys who just finished their senior seasons. Um, maybe not as much on people's radar from an NBA standpoint, but they both have pretty uh, successful careers at Cincinnati, and it's probably worth at least diving into them a bit. I will say, just to the to folks listening at home, Chris Vogt declared uh, just this last week, didn't really have enough time to give Cameron a chance at looking at his game, but we can kind of review his strengths and weaknesses at a high level and talk about how that kind of player might fit into the NBA game. Overview of what you've seen initially based on some of your video research and uh, any other, you know, kind of research you've done on his game. Uh, Yeah. Um, So first off, I, I was pleasantly surprised um, the closer I looked at him. Um, He's, one of the better athletes that I'd that I'd say I'd, I'd scouted this year, um, in terms of how that translates to this and that, it's a, it's a bit of a different discussion. But he's a terrific athlete. Um, defense stood out right away. Um, I think he's got he's got great tools, um, multifaceted ways on on both ends of the ball. Um, I I don't want to say that he has uh, guaranteed. NBA potential, but it's it's definitely there, mid maybe late second round um, at at this point in time. So obviously, like it's kind of a weird situation right now. We don't know what sort of develop development is going on, or or what level that can reach um, once once things kick kick up again. But uh, I I do think he has that that current potential. Right, that's the thing that Cincinnati fans have always been impressed about with Keith Williams. He hasn't always been the most skilled player. Uh, you know, he came in, if you look at his shooting splits, for example, from his freshman season, now granted it was with limited minutes, but, you know, shot 14.8% from three, 50% from the free throw line. 
every year, though, that's gotten better. And we've seen growth every single season in terms of at least skill-wise being able to knock down a shot, revamping the jump shot. And that especially occurred in this last season under John Brandon. Um, the athleticism and the raw skills were there. Keith Williams, obviously, I, I kind of compared him to Jacob Evans, who came out from Cincinnati a couple years ago. And he really impressed, you know, obviously the Golden State Warriors and other teams in his in-person workouts. So it could potentially be a challenge, I imagine, for Keith Williams if he doesn't get the shot to have these in-person workouts for NBA teams. Do you think that would be the case for someone who's maybe less less known like Keith Williams? Um, I I saw it on kind of the contrary. I, I think in a way that these, these workouts can actually work to players' advantages um, where they don't have a, a showcase um, for for X and Y. So in this case, um, like there are ways to test a player's ability to like, if they show a, a still picture or something and um, they're, they're given a particular task, how well can this player kind of unravel this situation? What's, what's their, their choice a and B something like this. I don't know um, that my current evaluation of him would be particularly strong, but if he's able to perform well at these tasks in those, those, um, in-person workouts, it, it might actually be to his benefit. Sure. Right. And, but I think we are in a situation potentially where they may not even have those opportunities, right? It all depends, I guess, on the COVID-19 play out, what kind of access they get. Um, so I guess that's, De- that's TBD. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For a player like Keith to make it to that next level, you know, you're saying maybe best case looking at mid to second, uh, mid to late second round, what do you see as his biggest needs for improvement? Um, I'd say just big picture stuff. Um, he's got to be a more dynamic on-ball attack threat. Um, so what, what I think is interesting with him, he's, he's a terrific athlete, but there's this kind of um, this perceived stiffness that seems to perpetuate certain actions. Um, so... He's got a really like wide set base. Um, when he initiates, he'll have his feet like five feet apart. Um, and I don't know if it's if it's lower back or what it is, but um, it just seems like he's kind of reluctant or if perhaps unable to contort, um, and that that doesn't help him sell his movements. Um, whether or not that factors into his kind of um, reluctance to string together like multi-move sequences, I don't know. Um, but currently, I don't see him as a... Um, he, he's, he struggles with being telegraphed by the defense. Um, and I do think he has pretty good flashes as a passer, but he's not capitalizing on his advantages. He's not pulling in the D and, um, and using his, his vision um, in ways that he could be. Um, so that's that's hurting his his offensive um, just output, I would say, currently. Um, defense, I think there's just there's a lot to be excited about. Um, he does. It's it's a little bit strange. I he, he seems to be like an exceptionally strong, like sturdy base. Um, and he moves guys out of the way both ends, like whenever he wants. But at the same time, he's not cutting guys off from their angles. He's not. um He's not getting his chest up into guys. And so I think that's that's kind of 
just creating a lane that wouldn't normally be there with someone with his his abilities. Um, so that's that's a major thing on, on defense that I look for. Do you see that more? I mean, is that something that a coach might look at or a front office and say, because the raw skills and athleticism are there, especially defensively, like we can get this guy in and teach him to play in a way that is going to make him even that much more effective defensively. And then, you know, offensively, let's, let's bank on, you know, building out his attack. Uh, I don't know how you, obviously you're describing things in terms of his movement and his ability to sell moves. I'm not sure how much work can be done there, but maybe you could shed some light on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's where you have probably differing viewpoints um, from organization to organization, but, but that, that mindset definitely definitely exists in, in some circles, I would say. Um, but one one thing that I, I did want to ask you guys um, is is kind of just going back to that that main point on defense. Um, I noticed like I don't know if you guys are familiar with ice or blue. It's it's basically where you have the guard show hard and, and funnel on the sideline. So when he's assuming this this position, I think it's just like. That, that'd be terrifying for me as, as a ball handler. Um, he does a great job at it, but when he starts funneling, um, I, I guess my main question is, is how much of that do you think plays into the scheme of, of John Brennan, um, this, this funneling thing? There is, like, because that does play into the whole, like, we're just going to concede this, this driving lane, but at the same time, there seems to be some confusion because he's trying to actively protect the rim at the same time as the, as the big that's rotating over. So, right. Well, I'm not sure how familiar familiar you are with the Bearcats specifically. This was a season where we, we have a new coach for the first time. So it's John Brandon's first year coaching the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I'm not going to pretend that I know his, his philosophies in terms of how he executed at NKU. The big mm-hmm. shift we saw season uh, going from Keith's, uh, sophomore year to junior year this most recent season is that Mick Cronin was playing a lot of zone defense um, the past year. So in for Keith's first two years in college, uh, the Bearcats leaned heavily on zone defense, primarily a 2-3 zone. John Brandon came in, and it became a man-to-man defense almost ex- exclusively. Now, in terms of what the strategy was there in terms of funneling, um, you know, the specific strategy you're talking about, I'm not as familiar with, but... There were, there were moments this season where on this podcast, other folks in the media, there were lots of questions about what the strategy was at cutting people off the rim because we were giving up uh, easy buckets at the rim at a fairly consistent clip. Do you agree with that, Hummer? Yeah. I mean, we were giving up a ton of baskets, and I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, Keith Williams' fault there. I think we had some, some other defenders that were going to, talk about because they did enter their name into the draft and had some shortcomings around that particular area of the court right mm-hmm. so i don't it's it's hard to say exactly i do believe part of the philosophy i know it's a man-to-man philosophy in terms of keith keith williams role specifically in that um i don't know i i i, I have to give right. it a I give it a big fat i don't know um i do know that that brandon has spoken multiple times in the media about keith williams staying mentally engaged on that end of the, on that end of the court, right? It, it, he does have a tendency and has had a tendency um, to kind of just lose focus on the defensive uh, side of the court. Uh, primarily, I would say off ball. You know, for someone who's as athletic as he is, we always liked seeing him on ball defense uh, much more than we did off ball. He's just 
he tended to get lost more than you would expect. Yeah, that's that's something that that definitely came up in the film just just time and time again. It's just once the ball is has swung and it's two seconds into the 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 play, he's just he's just checked out and completely turned his back. And there is some uh, also questionable footwork there on on the weak side. So um, yeah, definite definite point for improvement. So you know, you're someone who's also probably spent some time um, looking at players who. You know, who are playing internationally? Uh, are you also have you spent time kind of like paying attention to what's happening happening in the G League as well? Because really, where I'm where I'm taking this is Keith Williams is making a decision whether or not to come back to college and play his senior year, or whether he's going pro. Obviously, the most predictable answer is if he's going to get picked, you know, high second round, maybe mid second round, you could see him making the decision to jump. But there's also a likelihood where he may just not get drafted. But from your standpoint, a player like Keith Williams in his shoes with his skill set, do you see it in, to his betterment to come back to school in, and play at Cincinnati for that development? Or does it make more sense to, to consider the, the route of the G League or the, you know, the professional ranks abroad? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, kind of a, a cop-out answer, but I think basically it's just it's a case-by-case you know, you'll you'll go on the pros and cons for each individual. Um, and in this case, I think like a two-way contract in the G League could definitely make a lot of sense for him um, if if he thinks he has that ability and his agent does. Um, I I think he's right on the cusp. Um, and you know, they just recently I think quadrupled the salaries, um, so it it you know makes sense from a monetary standpoint. You can still get um, different exposure that you wouldn't have in a collegiate setting. Um, and that's that's just one thing that, you know, um, if you're just looking at college versus international, that's something that I've always think is I've always thought is is valuable is is having, um, you know, you have those those vets, you have just that diversity of of vastly different backgrounds, all just um, in the same setting, and uh, it's 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 invaluable, um, and I think I think that really helps with the development. Do you know, like, from a front office perspective? Do they, is there, is there like a, a preconceived notion about the type of coaching and training and uh, skill development you get at the college level versus uh, the G League? Is that something where they're trying to get more kind of fringe players at the G League level because they're more confident in the development that will happen there? Um, I, I can't personally comment on that. I don't know super well. Um, I do... I have um, just kind of an inclination to say that there's kind of a negative stipulation with with uh, development at the collegiate level. But again, like um, I'm not one for for generalities. I think it is case by case. Um, so um, my guess is he would probably do better to to uh, seek out something like a, a, a two way contract or a G League setting just in terms of development. But um, I, you know, it it comes down to and, and that might come back to you guys, just like, do you have any exposure to like the shooting coach or, or the assistant coaches and, and how how good of a job they do perceivably? I, I, I don't really know, um, but it, it seems to be pretty case by case. So Well, it is. At college, it's very case by case. So I think speaking in generalities, I'm glad you didn't uh, indulge my uh, my guilt, my guilty question of basically assuming every college coach is the same. 
You know, we went from mm-hmm. a coach in Mick Cronin who's been incredibly successful at winning games and creating teams that just stifle you defensively. But on offense, we just it was it was generally a rock fight. You know, we're trying to win in the sixties. With Brandon, and we've we've heard this firsthand from guys like Jamar Johnson, who does have some some NBA experience, that he came in and has implemented a coaching style, especially in the practices, that's much more NBA. Uh, it's much. It's a much more NBA type style. More skill development, uh, more mm. focus on improving individual um, skills like dribbling and shooting. And, and there's obviously a much bigger emphasis on ball movement and a free flowing offense. You know, a lot of fans got a taste of that this season, and we we very much like what we saw. So, I think there's a case to be made mm. that Brandon might be the exact type of college coach that you'd want to develop under. Uh, but you're right. I think Keith Williams seems like he's very much on the fringe, and I think a lot of Bearcat fans. Will be very are going to be more surprised. Or I guess surprised that Keith Williams has a realistic shot to leave early because right now I think the general assumption is that he's back, and I think it's very much a fifty-fifty call at this point. Well, I would also you know point out that when on this particular case by case example, you have a Keith Williams who is coming in to fill a major hole. Being if he decides to come back, that's being vacated by Jaron Cumberland. So the offense is more more likely or not going to be flowing a lot more through Keith Williams, giving him a chance to to be working on those skills even more. Where I don't know necessarily what kind of impact or or what level he's he would be getting in the G League, being on that kind of fringe player. Yeah, that's that's a, a strong point. Um, I how do you guys? think that he fares in those situations i mean um i don't know if you have access to like synergy numbers or anything but his isolation numbers look really good um i i do want to preface this with like that i take this stuff with a a mountain of salt um but isolation is is actually a decent indicator i feel like um i'm just curious what you guys think he how he performs in those situations but particularly like when he comes off of a, a ball screen or something like that well, he's, he was easily the most explosive player we had with the ball in his hands this season. The problem was, you know, we'll get into Jaron Cumberland here in a minute. He had, he, the ball has been in his hands for two straight seasons. The ball was in Jaron Cumberland's hands, and whether or not we succeeded had to do with what he did with that possession. And this season, there was a game late, late in the season against South Florida. We went down about 13 points. Jaron Cumberland was not playing. Keith Williams basically had the ball in his hands the final 10 minutes of that game. And it featured a lineup when we took our low post threat, Chris Vote, out of the game. And the lineup was essentially a space lineup with Trey Scott, Mamadou Diara, and a couple other guards. And it gave Keith Williams a ton of room to operate. And he just destroyed South Florida for the last 10 minutes of that game. We pull off the comeback victory. And to me, like Hummer was saying, that was a potential, um, that was the foreshadowing of what's to come next season if he does return to the Bearcats. So I, th- I would say overall we've been impressed, but much more impressed when the lineup around him suited that type of attacking style. Interesting. Yeah. So let me, you know, I guess we've kind of we've kind of gone deep here into Keith Williams, and I think it's the most important player to go into because he actually has a chance of returning to the Bearcats. Before I, I kind of jump into Jaron or Trey Scott here, Cameron, do you have any final thoughts on Keith? Um, I have a, (laughs) 
a plethora of, of thoughts on, on this and that, but I think ultimately it's just going to require me putting something out there. Um, if you guys are okay with that, I'll probably submit something to, to the public. Um, but yeah, I, there's, he's just an interesting guy. Um, there's lots of, there's lots of, uh, pluses and minuses with, with both, both sides of the ball. Um, but yeah, I'm, well, let's leave it there because I, I think that get, that's a nice little taste of what you think about Keith Williams. And then when you if you're getting something submitted to the public, uh, we, we can't wait to read it. And I'm sure Bearcat fans feel the exact same way. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So let's go into Jaron Cumberland. He has been the star of the show for the Bearcats for, uh, look, I'm going to say two years. But the, the fact is he was one of the most important players his sophomore year as well. He has been um, a staple in the Cincinnati community. However, his senior year saw pretty significant dips in shooting percentage. He struggled with injuries throughout the year, and uh, turnovers were obviously an issue as well. Can you give me some maybe high-level thoughts on Jaron Cumberland, uh, the most, I guess, successful, and he's the senior graduating with the most accolades, but how does he fare maybe as a pro prospect? Um, I don't think that he fares terribly well um from what i've seen um granted i haven't really focused on him to the same degree as keith but um he does exhibit a particular degree of of poise um with his on-ball play that i think is just not really matched by anyone on the squad um he's definitely got like a really just he's just got a solid feel for the game um i don't know if that extends to the defensive end as well that's something you guys would probably have to help me out with but um the the turnovers are kind of a question mark um i i don't think they're indicative of of his um of his his passing feel um in in both senses of the word um it's just they seem like mental lapses more than anything else um he's he's a strange athlete (laughs) um freight train so i think yeah that that doesn't project super well um but yeah it's it's fun to always get a a a glimpse of that poise that he has yeah the biggest i think the the skill i really admire the most with jaron cumberland is is his passing he's a very gifted passer he he made some of the easily the most advanced he he's the most advanced and skilled player on the team in terms of that right just pure offense creation um but we know the limitations in terms of just raw athleticism. He's not someone who's going to rise and finish over defenders typically. Instead, he's trying to finish through defenders, and that did cause, you know, offensive fouls from time to time. You know, is there, right. you know, just uh, defensively good instincts. I mean, any any player who has a, generally has a pretty good IQ for the game, which I think you could, it sounds like you could see offensively. It's the same thing defensively. Um, he didn't necessarily shine as a defender. I don't think he's the most lockdown on ball defender, but he was someone who, who had a good, good knack and good feel for helping uh, off his man and was able to wreak havoc at times. It was just a level of, it was a matter of how engaged is he possession to possession. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that seems to line up. So, so is it as simple as in the NBA, his type of, you know, measurables being six, five, uh, and just not an explosive athlete, is that just going to put a limit and a cap on his ability to impress scouts? Yeah, I think I think people would hope for a, a, a more nuanced answer and that it's, uh, you know, it's multidimensional, but I mean, like straight up, that's, that's just a big hindrance. Um, 
especially when you factor in in the height. Um, so, yeah, he's he's not particularly <laughs> vertically gifted. Um, and uh, if you don't have the range to compete at, at the three or the four, I think that, that makes it pretty difficult. So, Hummer, I'm going to let you kick it off to the next player here. I, I think we've heard what we need, what we need to hear on Jaron uh, because it's been a reality we've talked about throughout the season. Jaron actually, I don't know if you know this, Cameron, he tested the waters last season in the same way that Keith Williams did, and he chose to come back to Cincinnati based on the feedback he got. So at this point, I think hmm. he, he, he probably has a feel for the type of limitations they see in his game. You would have hoped to see a different Jaron Cumberland this past season, you know, someone who came back you know, in the best shape of his life um, and mm. kind of just saw his game take it to another level. That wasn't the case. And I think it's largely been blamed on injuries, a lingering foot injury. And so just a tough break right. for him. You know, I hope he, he finds a way to come make, make a living professionally. The NBA is certainly not the only option. There are very many. There's a ton of options abroad as well. Yeah. So it's funny. He's, he's talking about Trey Scott as this next player. And um, I don't know if, if Coomer told you this before you hopped on. Before the season started, Coomer and I had a bet who would average more points per game, Keith Williams or Trey Scott. <laughs> and for the last two months of the season, Coomer started to really he, – he started to sweat. Uh, Trey Scott just had an unbelievable January, and he carried it over into uh, February and March. And at one point was within you know a couple games of catching up uh, to Keith Williams on that on that front, but he he showed I think a a really different side of of what we saw. He became almost dominant for the Bearcats at, at later on, starting to score you know twenty point games. He was he averaged a double double on the season. Uh, you know, tremendous I think defensive effort from him as well. So it's really uh, curious to see because I don't think he's actually I haven't actually seen that he's declared for the draft. Well, he's a senior, so he's automatically cut. You're not going to see a declaration okay. from him as a senior. Hmm. Any any thoughts? Because, look, Trey Scott is not a guy who came into the season with any expectations in terms of NBA, but he, he played a game against Penny Hardaway's Memphis team that Doris Burke called, and look, Doris became infatuated with this guy and started speculating wildly about his NBA prospects. So I need, I need to hear it from you. I need to hear kind of what your, your uh, high-level thoughts are on Trey Scott. Well, um, again, I, I haven't taken a long look at him, but he definitely did jump off the page um, just just based on I, his passing is great. Um, at least it, it seemed like he um, when, whenever they ran like a high low action or in the short roll or something, his his instincts were quick. He, he threw nice little sh like shovel interior passes. Um, the energy level seems quite high. I'm not quite sure how tall he is but he's he's probably in the 611 ish range is that right no 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 68 68 eight. okay yeah he's 68 he's, he's 225 oh wow okay um and we we can agree that keith williams is not quite 65 right i did want to <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah good i'm glad you point this out you we love okay. just to give some background cameron and i are our relationship goes beyond Cincy Slang, and we met in Japan back in 2009, and one of our favorite pastimes is talking about how tall someone actually is. So you're, what do you, what's your prediction for Keith Williams? I'd probably put him at 6'4 and a quarter without <laughs> shoes. I don't think he's hitting 6'5 either. I, I agree with you there. Um, I also don't think that he's heavier than Jaron Cumberland. So let's, uh, 
I'll also put that on out there too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I would love some, some insight from your guys' end regarding uh, defense um, for Trey Scott, but his energy jumped right off the page passing. Um, he's, he seems like a very opportunistic scorer. Um, I saw some nice kind of like Ibaka, Ibaka-esque mid-range game. Um, little sequences pop up here and there, which I, I had an appreciation for. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm curious about the rim protection, um, kind of the, the defensive vers- versatility uh, in your guys' eyes. Well, I actually kind of like Trey Scott's shot at getting a G League deal. Uh, he has the size to transit to the NBA game in terms of what he's going to bring specifically. And John Brandon just loved this guy. So he's the ultimate leader, you know, came in, like I said, like you wish Jaron Cumberland came in in terms of the best shape of his life and just ready to perform at his best, his senior year. That's what Trey Scott did. Um, He's not the most explosive athlete, but he was the conference defensive player of the year. Um, And that's because of his ability to guard multiple positions. He was dealing with players like Prince uh, Achua, from Memphis really mm-hmm. did, a, did a number on him in the first half of that game. Now Prince definitely had his moments in that game, but Trey Scott has shown an ability to uh, defend post players to switch onto smaller players, defend effectively. Um, in that case, I don't describe him as the best rim protector, but it was certainly his senior year. He showed an ability to block and contest shots at the best he's ever done in his Bearcat career. And I really do attribute that to being, in the best shape of his life. I mean, he really looked amazing this season. He was meeting people at the rim at a much greater rate. So I, there's a chance there for Trey Scott, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. I mean, that seems to line up with, with what I've seen. Um, yeah, definitely very impressive so far. So, And you nailed the passing. I mean, John Brandon raved about his passing all season, so that's pretty cool that you saw that independently of any comments from a coach or uh, – you know, obviously the, the Cincinnati media itself. So uh, good stuff on Trey. The final, cool. the final player who declared this week is Chris Vote, and that was met with, I think, some surprise from the Bearcat community because he's a guy who he just transferred to Cincinnati with John Brandon from Northern Kentucky University across the river. It's a, it's a smaller school, and hmm. he wasn't a guy who played a ton of minutes last year, but he's huge. He's about 7'1", 260 pounds. And uh, early in the season was incredibly successful, back to the basket, scoring down low, really high field goal percentage. And he, he's good at getting position, right? Like he just gets himself in really good position, uh, offensively catches and finishes. And unfortunately, that size didn't translate to the, to the defensive end. He, you know, I don't have synergy, unfortunately, but I did see some just snapshots during the season. And he had, I think, the worst... Uh, per possession defensive rating on it of anybody on the team. And you just wouldn't expect that with someone his size. And so I think it's a matter of mobility. Um, he's not the best defensive rebounder, but he is just an incredible body, you know, just a huge guy, um, not yeah. the best athlete. Just, I guess, high level. How does, for people who don't watch as much NBA bas- basketball, when you're that size, what's the best, how do you make the NBA? You know, like I've seen, Roy Hibbert get played out of the NBA. How does someone with that type of profile find a way in the NBA these days? Yeah, I think, I mean, what you're hinting at, it's, it's obviously not, not an easy task. Um, I think the main question is, can you stretch the floor? Um, and I, 
I don't think I've seen instances of that so far um, with him. Um, there's a guy out of Purdue called, or I think he's hasn't declared yet, but he, he might be a, a junior, uh, Matt Harms from Purdue. Um, kind of a similar profile. Um, and what I thought gave him that potential to kind of maybe creep in the high second round is um, he's just an, an outlier in terms of screen setting and energy, um, just crashing the glass, altering shots. So I think if, if you're banking on coming off the bench um, and fulfilling a particular role, whether it's a combination of those things um, or just excelling at one of them, there is a, a slight chance. Um, but if you're, in, if, you know, if you're not altering the game in those ways, um, I think it might be difficult for, for someone like vote. Yeah. I think he does the exact opposite of spread the floor. Uh, we, there was moments when we we'd have him in the game and honestly, it just, it clogged the lane up so much for, for Jaron and Keith that when we took him out and we put Trey Scott in the low post, you know, it, everything opened up because Trey Scott was more of that guy who could spread the floor. Uh, Chris Vogt <laughs> declaring, I think it surprised all of us. Yeah, I mean, that, that from an outsider's pr- perspective, that's pretty remarkable that you have four declarations. Um, I mean, what's what would you say the, the annual average is <laughs> for Cincinnati? Yeah, for Cincinnati, it hasn't been all that common. You know, it's a, we've had our we've had our fair share of guys who are at least being considered. You know, last season we had Jaron Cumberland going out as a prospect. We've had Sean Kilpatrick uh, make a make a, a stint in the NBA for a few years. Jacob Evans is obviously still making his way. Gary Clark, so it's not Lance Stevenson. It's not uh, it's not <laughs> barren, but it's this is definitely a higher volume year. But I think some of that goes with the rule changes, Hummer. Right. We're yeah. acting surprised that Keith Chris Vogt's doing this, but he's also just doing it to get his name out there, get some feedback about his game. And like you're saying, Cameron, he's going to get some feedback from scouts and whoever else is working him out to say, if you're looking to make an actual run at this in the NBA, here are the things we have to see from you. And if these things don't happen, it's going to be really tough for you. If they do, and, and if it ascends to a completely new level, you know, we might be having a different conversation next year. Yeah, absolutely. Now this guy, he he didn't declare, and uh, from what we understand, he's not because he just transferred from Colgate. But Rapalus Ivanowskis has has uh, made very vocal his intention to in the future to try to to play professional basketball. When he was at Colgate last last year, he was having a pretty good season. Did you have a chance at all to to see his game and and have any input possibly on what what you may have seen from him? I haven't, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm amazed how well you pronounce that name. By the way, good job. I'm proud of you. <laughs> now, Rapalus, I, I feel like you would like Rapalus's game, Cameron. Uh, he's so like his footwork in the post is amazing, and he can actually extend it to the three point line. So he he is an interesting guy. He's coming. He's joining the Bearcats for next season, and it, it's going to be fun to see how Brandon plays with the lineups in terms of vote Rapalus, Trey Scott, and then also not. I'm sorry, not Trey Scott. Um, Mamadou Diara and Tari Eason, an incoming freshman from Seattle, who I hope to be talking to you about next season. And I want—I was trying to convince you to go see him. Did you ever see Tari? I didn't get the chance. No, it's just yeah. You can probably understand. It's been kind of yeah crazy. Well, it's tough. It's tough. But he played. Yeah. Uh, he played for Brandon Roy's team out there, Garfield High School, and we are we are very very excited to be getting him to Cincinnati. Hopefully later this year. Who knows? 
yeah, it'll it'll all be fun to see, and you guys might have made a little fan out of me, so it'll be fun to fun to monitor. <laughs> so, Cameron, let me just ask you a few quick questions about the draft at large. Uh, I am curious. Do you have a favorite prospect for the upcoming draft? I have. That's hard to answer. Um, I'm probably leaning Killian Hayes um, as as my number one personally. Um, I again, like my lame answer is I haven't seen enough yet, but so far that's that's what I'm that's what I'm leaning towards. Um, Lamelo Ball has been a ton of fun to watch. Um, I just finished up a, a scouting report on Devin Vassell, who I think is just uh, consummate team player team defender just fills everything you ask he's he's yeah there's there's a lot to be excited about um just just looking forward to to when this is all going to go down so you're liking the wing you're liking the wing talent in this draft oh yeah absolutely okay yeah killian hayes he's the guard who's super is he raw from france but he's like got a ton of upside yeah yeah I, I'd say he's made big strides this year um, in terms of kind of like accessing that athleticism. Um, he's not, he's probably one of the the worst athletes in the top five, top 10 range, um, but just immense amounts of skill. He just really reads the game well. Um, I just, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, any any James Wiseman thoughts? You know, a guy who's kind of old school in that he's a seven one center, lots of athleticism. We didn't get to see lots of him this year because he he went to Memphis and then, you know, wasn't at Memphis the next time he looked. So, have you had a chance to see any James Wiseman? You guys are probably gonna have to cut it out at this point, but no, I, I haven't seen enough of him. All right. Yeah. Any uh, if you're gonna recommend a, a whiskey for anyone to drink for the listeners out there, what's the what's your go to whiskey? Yeah, I'd say I, I, it can't be my go-to anymore because I don't have access to it. But um, my my number one favorite, I would say worldwide, would be Black Nika. Um, you could probably find it in Japan if, if you if ever get the chance of going. So really, is just a delicious Japan and their whiskey is just fantastic. Just a, a fantastic option selection out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Hummer, any parting parting uh, questions or thoughts for Cameron? No, I think we we covered it all. I was hoping to hear, you know, just rave reviews about Trey Scott, you know, his his potential to be a top five pick. But, you know, we all can't get what we want. (laughs) It's been fun, though. I just, um, you know, I was focused on Keith, but watching the other guys and and uh, yeah, especially Trey seeing uh, seeing him in the periphery. It's it's been fun. The prospects look good, so. Well, you guys, everyone can find Cameron's work online uh, on Twitter. He's a great follow if you like all things basketball or nature. Uh, he, you can find him with the Twitter handle how at How's It Going, uh, made famous by Phil Jackson several years ago. That's still your handle, right? That's still my handle. Yeah, okay. you got it. <laughs> okay. And then also your work is featured on The Stepian. Cameron, we appreciate it. Thanks again for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Hummer, that was an incredibly interesting conversation about 
the players from Cincinnati that are going to be considered for the NBA draft and just for the G League for uh, summer league spots. I mean, that he had so much information on Keith Williams, so much information about how these games might translate to the next level. What are your initial thoughts? Well, first, I wanted to ask you a question. I think he was calling it uh, blue and uh, <laughs> blue and ice, blue and ice, right? Blue and ice. Yeah. yeah the, um, so that that was a bit beyond my technical expertise of you know in-game play calling. Something to me, it's it gives me more. It gives me something to build upon, right? Like I want to be able to have those conversations and talk basketball at that level. And, and I honestly don't think it's a matter of it's too expertise. It's just getting the terms down. But no, it was incredibly interesting. I actually do think we could offer good insight, though, about how Brandon, uh, his style of coaching, I think, makes a big difference in how you interpret Keith Williams as a player. You know, the role that Keith Williams had his freshman and sophomore year, it's grown every single season. And what we saw Keith Williams' junior season is by far the most you know consistent and engaged contributor we've seen. But now we know, and I thought you made a great point during the, the interview, if he comes back next season, he's going to have a chance to take on and do all of the things that Cameron was actually questioning. Obviously, we want what's best for Keith Williams in this situation. You know, and so if it's the G League for him, that's fantastic if, if he gets drafted. But you know, one thing I don't think I asked, and because this is something that's just I'm not familiar with, what is the difference in getting drafted, say, mid to late second round and, and get it going in the first round? What are the implications from a financial perspective with the way the NBA draws up their player agreements? Is there a significant amount of, of money that it, that it could be worth actually waiting to, to get that spot in that late first round? Well, so I can shed some light on that. The reason it was such a big deal that Jacob Evans worked his way into the first round a couple years ago was because once you're a first-round draft pick, you have a guaranteed contract. Once you're in the second round, those are typically non-guaranteed contracts. Um, You're not even guaranteed to get a contract, right? Like People are just taking flyers at that point. And I think what we heard from Cameron is that Keith Williams... He seemed tantalized by his talent and his athleticism and what he could potentially be as a player. And to me, that's a good sign that there's probably going to be an NBA team or two that may see Keith Williams as worth a second-round flyer. Then it comes down to, is Keith Williams comfortable taking that leap, that leap of faith that I'm betting on my talent, whether I get picked in the second round or whether I am an undrafted you know, summer league camp signee. Am I ready to just take the leap and become a professional basketball player? And given the initial feedback we're hearing from Cameron, I think it's a very realistic possibility that Keith Williams leaves to become a professional basketball player. That seems very much in play at this point. And what I forget, I'm not going to hold you to task because I, I think we both gave percentages that were very high that he was returning. And, and frankly, after that conversation, my confidence in Keith returning is, is the flip of a coin. I, I think there's too many avenues that he could go because Cameron mentioned it. Obviously he could go in the late second round, but, or, you know, high first, second round, but he could also go G league. He could hit hop on a two way contract, get some exposure on there. And then the last course is, well, we don't want to speculate. We don't even know if college basketball is going to be played next year. So that could be something that weighs into his decision about whether or not he's going to return to college at all, because, Hey, 
I mean, I even have, I mean, I'm even playing college. I'm just going to go take this G League contract and get paid while, while I'm working on these, these aspects of my game. That's probably the thing that's working against the Bearcats the most in terms of getting Keith Williams back on the roster because selfishly, I really want Keith Williams back. I love the talent and the team that John Brandon has built. And I'd love to see Keith Williams in that alpha role on this team with an offense that's structured and built around his skill set of of driving to the hoop and and being the focal point. Because as Cameron noted, he was really, really impressed with his isolation skills. And that's something we would have only seen more of next season. And if COVID-19 does wreck the NCAA basketball and football seasons, that's obviously going to play a role in terms of getting Keith Williams back. So at this point, with that context, uh, with the fact that he's probably going to be regarded favorably by other NBA scouts and teams, there's, uh, you know, Bearcat fans such as ourselves who maybe would have put it at a 75% chance that he comes back. I think we're all going to have to come to terms with the idea that Keith Williams is definitely no better than a 50-50 coin flip at this point to be back as a Cincinnati Bearcat. He makes a good point. Cameron makes a good point, or I don't even know if it was really a point as more as an observation. We technically have four players entering the draft from this year's class. Like that's pretty, I think that's pretty, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm impressed, but at the same time, it's, it's a good thing to be having that many players, at least at thinking that it is, it is a possibility that they could be an NBA player. And so the, for the cats to have that, I think that's huge for us. Um, and, you know, I think one of the ones, too, I, I wish you would have had a little more to say about him, but it's just only because my love is so deep for him. Um, uh, Trey Scott, I don't know if you look, if anybody here is on Kempom, and if you go and you click on the players' names, it'll actually give you uh, comparisons of who, what seasons they, they played like. And Trey Scott, under his comparison, was Gary Clark from 2017. Oh, that's so perfect. I love it. <laughs> I, you're right, Hummer. Let's, let's hit on that for a second because there was a big reaction to Chris Vogt declaring for the NBA draft. And there, there's some strong reactions to Keith Williams too, right? Like it's, if you're not going to go there and be a star, why go there? That's not, the, that's not the point. It's really good for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program and the brand as a whole to see guys go for their dreams and trying to become NBA players. John Brandon's taking that. He's taking these numbers of players who are who are testing the NBA waters and being considered as NBA players, and he's taking that into the living rooms of potential recruits. He's telling the Tari Eason's of the world, you come to Cincinnati, you're going to develop your game, you're going to get better, and you're going to be able to, to take it to the next step. You're going to be able to consider yourself and enter your name into the ranks of other NBA players and get the, have the potential of being drafted. We can do that here at this university. So if Keith Williams doesn't return, yes, I'm sad because I would have loved to see his senior season. But at the same time, that's really exciting that we have another player throwing his name into the hat, getting his name in the G League, getting his name on, a, on an NBA bench, and potentially working his way into a role on an NBA team. Well, let's also not forget, too, that NBA players, like they're actually out there if, it, if it's anything I've learned doing this podcast and when we're out there talking to the DeMar Johnsons, the Leonard Stokes, the Ronald Allens, is these guys help recruit, in a sense, to Cincinnati. 
they're they're maybe not out there actively on the recruiting trail, but they're talking about their experience. They're talking about their time. They're still involved with the program. Demar Johnson's attending practices and is a mentor to these players. So that's huge. Now all of a sudden we have another NBA uh, current NBA player as a mentor for UC players. That I think is is huge. When these players' careers end, I feel like a lot, depending on their level of success, a lot of them seem to. T- gravitate back towards the tri-state area so they they keep involved in the community and with the players that we have coming in we've talked about them you know there's this depending on how their careers go we could be looking in a few years that we have another three draft you know a three uh declaration three player declaration class you know tari eason is is high up on some people's radars already um, from what we've heard well, from he's high on our radar. Him. I know, I know he's high on our radar. Well, I mean, if, if, if I've also heard what Cameron was saying, we gave him some reasons to watch the Bearcats over the next few seasons is talking about the players, you know, Rappos Ivanowskis is another one that, you know, even though he hasn't seen any of his game, I would imagine after the, you know, just from what he said, what we were talking about him, he's going to watch a few. Yeah, I think so. I think there's, it's an exciting time to be a Bearcat basketball fan. You say it every episode, but it's 100% true. What we have on the football side with Luke Fickle, what we have with John Brannon, it's a great, 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 great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat <laughs> basketball fan and football fan. Um, Legends in the making. That's what we have here. Legends in the making. Uh, this is probably the first topic, second time we've talked to UC football uh, religiously, now it'll become a, a thing. People calling Luke Fickle a legend. I'm not there yet. <laughs> he hasn't won the conference yet. We haven't made it to a New Year's Eve Six Bowl yet. I'm not jumping on the legend train. He's on his way, but he's not there yet. Make John Brandon, future Hall of Fame, John Brandon <laughs> is not a legend yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was gonna say the the. <laughs> The discrepancy, or I guess the the juxtaposition and the hypocrisy of basically like Luke Fickle, you're not a legend. You need to win a conference. You need to get us to a BCS bowl game if they existed. You need to get us to a playoff. And then with John Brandon, ah, this guy's a Hall of Famer. We're going to lose him to the NBA, no doubt. Can Sorry I go here? One quick rant, and I probably should have done this at the beginning of the podcast because you know if, if you're here at minute fifty nine, thank you. Uh, but look, there's no reason, there's no upside in going after and making fun of Chris Vogt online about declaring for the NBA draft. You know, I have my opinion, Hummer has his opinion about whether he is a legitimate NBA prospect at this point. And I think watching his game, we know what the strengths are. He's huge, right? He's really good at getting great position offensively. He is really good at finishing around the rim. But we also know there are there are weaknesses, and they're not unnecessary criticisms. You know, the guy can't stretch the floor at this point. He needs to be better defensively. He needs to be a rim protector, and he needs to be a much, much better defensive rebounder. Despite those facts, despite those things, going online and on Twitter and clowning the guy for entering his name into the NBA draft when it's very clear that he can and probably will return to the university. What is the point? Why are we doing that? The only reason I can actually think of doing that is to prove your own, you know, toughness. I'm going to go online and tell this guy really what's up because I know the truth. 
What are you? Is it benefiting the program? Are you making it more appealing to come to the university if we're clowning on people who are pursuing their dreams of becoming a professional basketball player? It's not doing anyone a service, especially in Cincinnati, not John Brandon, not the Bearcat basketball program, not us as fans, to be ripping on these guys for entering their name into the NBA draft. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Just had to get that off my chest. Remember, man. These, these guys are playing, as of right now, for basically no money, right? They're, they're working their, their asses off. They're practicing day in and day out, essentially for our amusement. <laughs> I know there's other motivations for them, but if we want to put it into that perspective, these players are out there busting their ass for us. Yes, we come on here and we can give them a hard time talking about the games and what we're not happy about. But at the end of the day, these are kids. They're not professional athletes. They're in school. They're studying while they're doing this, like Coomer mentioned, to pursue their dreams. And it doesn't look good on us as a university if we're out there just basically taking dumps on players on Twitter, on social media, you know, be supportive and then make it a, a good experience for them while they're here. And it just helps that recruiting train keep going. Absolutely. And that's why we wanted to have Cameron on the podcast was to get someone who is an expert at the NBA game, at talent evaluation, at player development. And I thought getting his thoughts on Keith Williams, Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, and even a little bit of Chris Vote, really helpful and puts in perspective what players need to look for and what skill sets translate well to the NBA game. Because at this point, it sounds like the, mo the best two prospects for the Bearcats in this upcoming draft and this upcoming season would be A, Keith Williams, which is probably obvious, but then B, Trey Scott. Trey Scott does have a potential role in the NBA with his size, with his smarts, with his passing ability with his improved athleticism, his, his fitness. Hey, Trey Scott's got a shot. And when you, when you show those Kempom numbers, comparing his season to none other than Gary Clark, well, Gary Clark's making a nice living in the NBA. So kudos to Trey Scott. Kudos to Keith Williams. Good luck to Chris Vogt. Good luck to Jaron Cumberland. Good luck to all of them as they pursue their dreams of becoming professional basketball players. Uh, so, Hummer, for now, I'm out, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.